0: Welcome to Peeves is a chapter-by-chapter page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day.
1: I'm James.
0: And I'm Meeks. And today, we are analyzing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 9, the writing on the wall. And if you remember, uh, we have a couple pages from the last chapter we'll be including in this discussion. As the film sort of condensed, rearranged, all of the above... Um, speaking of the film, the timing is approximately 43 minutes to 53 minutes. Before we start gabbing, a quick spoiler warning, as always, we'll be using our vast knowledge of the Wizarding World to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So you've been warned, Dickelfirsties. And now, a message from the Daily Prophet.
1: It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration.
0: Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards.
2: Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions.
0: I have tried the grape... The sea berry and the cherry, and I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite.
1: I'll have to try the cherry, I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one, so I'm saving it for last because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good because it's the last one. It
0: is really good. And (laughs) I like how like saturated the flavor is of liquid IV. Doesn't feel all watery.
1: Right. It's very strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had, I think it was like 40 ounce bottle And it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor, bam. Like whoa.
0: Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water.
2: Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste, rather than you having to like use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly.
1: Well, one stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting.
2: Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy.
0: Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world.
1: Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout.
2: That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com.
0: Welcome back, listeners. Shall we dive right into the finding, following the basilisk's Well, we don't know what it is yet, but following this mysterious voice into the hall and finding poor little Miss Norris taped to the wall.
1: Yeah, talk about spoiler warning. Goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Right off the bat, we already revealed the monster.
0: Surprise.
1: (laughs) This is why you read the books before you listen to us.
2: Yeah i actually, I'm really curious if anybody who is listening to this has not read the books yet. I would imagine that everybody has or or at least watched the movies.
1: You never know because I met somebody a couple of days ago who has never watched a Star Wars thing ever, like with how much content there is, like just not being interested or even like wanting to or even like curious or had like somebody be like, you have to watch this. Like never in their entire lives have they watched one Star Wars thing. And I was just like, huh. So, I mean, I guess it would be.
0: Yeah. But are they listening to a Star Wars podcast?
1: (laughs) No, I'm just.
2: Yeah. Right. So (laughs) like my, my dad has never watched or consumed any Harry Potter content and he never will, (laughs) but he, it would be surprising Mm -hmm. if somebody was, listening to our podcast and reading it for the first time or like watching the film for the first time. I mean, that would be cool, of course, but I just yeah. listeners, if you're out there, unicorns are Harry Potter unicorns. Mm-hmm. Let us know.
0: Well, let's talk about the biggest change between the book and the film here. And that is how we get from point A to point B, because in the book, The whole trio is leaving the death day party and that's when Harry starts to hear this voice and they follow it to Miss Norris. In the film, however, Harry is leaving Lockhart's detention. He hears the voice and runs into Hermione and Ron and then they stumble upon Mrs. Norris. What did you guys think of the change here? Did it work for the film or will it be on your pieces list?
2: i think that um i mean it was fine enough like looking at it just as a film i feel like it made sense and particularly as somebody hadn't read the books and they were watching the movie i feel like it i feel like it flowed fine of course though it doesn't i, I guess i would say it doesn't make sense why they would make that change but it kind of does because they took out the whole death type party so i guess it like i feel like it's fine I just would prefer, of course, if they had kept it closer to the book. As always, there's like almost never a time that the three of us wish that th- that they didn't stick with the book. But mm-hmm. I think it worked out fine enough.
0: I feel like my biggest peeve with the way it happens in the film is Hermione and Ron come like running from where? Why are they so rushed? And what is happening before? they find Harry and it's just so unexplained
2: yes and I totally agree with that and then I wrote down it's so much more dramatic in the movie than it is as
0: always
2: (laughs) as always exactly so I mean I guess this is uh, yet another time movie watchers and non-book readers let us know what your thoughts are for this scene um because I think it's overly dramatic and yeah like confusing, but it's not too big of an issue that I, you know, that it would like make a peeves list for me.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: So we move on and there's another life at Hogwarts few pages And we are missing a few things, um, primarily (laughs) Ginny is missing from the film and how distraught she is over what happened and Fred and George picking on her and Percy coming to her defense. And I feel like that's a shame to be missing since she becomes such an important chess piece later on
1: yeah uh that's kind of a flaw uh for the movie in the in in its in the movie's favor i guess I should say but uh, it really is just it comes down to the the writers not realizing how big of a part that plays in the books because that us getting a check in on Jenny. Every once in a while is J.K. Rowling's way of removing the red herring uh, because uh, she she's purposefully dodging these these moments where our brains might go, what if it's Jenny as it, it, as, as it goes with any mystery book or any mystery story, uh, even a mystery movie if it's done well, and you're trying to figure out, who did it or who's done it or like, what are these clues? The, it, the whole job of the author, and it's a hard job, the whole job of the author is to make sure that when the mystery is revealed, it's a, it's a surprise. And that's what makes a great mystery. Uh, it, it's really hard though when some people go, oh, it's obviously this. That, that's when you know a bad mystery has been written for a movie or, or a book is because you figure it out halfway or even at the very beginning. And then you're just like, got it told you wasn't, it isn't as enjoyable or thrilling. Whereas the first time I read the chamber secrets and you guys probably have different experiences. Maybe I don't know, but the first time I read chamber secrets, I had no idea it was Ginny, and I was, I was surprised I was taken aback. And that was it. That's due to the fact that JK Rowling put things in there on a consistent basis to throw us off the trail, mm-hmm. to point fingers, a to point towards other things to just to just throw in other stuff. Like, if in fact, this chapter even shows us at the very end of the chapter, it shows Percy talking about how much Jenny is distraught about Ron and Harry being uh, expelled. That feels like a normal little sister thing to do. And because Percy's bringing it up, that's obviously a good explanation as to why she's. White and why she's panicky and like, it fills our brains with a reason to satisfy us enough to not even think about it a second moment later. Uh, And so when movies do this and they forget that part, uh, it, it makes the reveal either fall flat or not as, enjoyable enough of a of a reveal to go oh it was her like where did she come from like in, in the example of the movies like where did she come from like she's never even like been in the movie up until now kind of scenario so it's just right. an interesting we little tidbit
0: see her in this portion of the film no and it's 10 minutes 10 minutes of the film and there's no Janine yeah it's a bummer well, and unfortunately, that's going to be the rest of the series. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it just is a weird call. I I thought it was really weird, even like as a kid watching it. Like, why would they not have Ginny in it? <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not sure necessarily if it's about being a weird call. I just think it's just the people in charge weren't mystery writers. It's not about making a call or not. It's really more about knowing how to do a mystery thing. Well, there are just some people that will never be able to do it because it's just not innately in who they are to be able to write or do a story that well, that involves a secret that can't be revealed until the last little bit moment. So I think it's more of a skill that the creators lacked when they made the movie. Um because um it it, it is it was just very apparent.
0: Yeah. Well speaking of mysteries Hermione is on a mission to figure out what in the world is the Chamber of Secret. And apparently, everybody else is because Hogwarts of History has been checked out of the library, all of the copies, and there's a two week waiting list. So she takes it upon herself to ask in class a professor, What is the Chamber? And now we arrive at our second biggest change book to film. And in the movie, she asks McGonagall, what is the Chamber of Secrets? But in the book, she asks the history professor himself, the ghost, Professor Binns.
1: Dun-dun-dun.
0: <laughs> now, how do we feel about a second character being completely cut from the films?
1: Well, seeing how as they probably wanted some, like, it it was probably more of like a budget thing. It's, have one of the actors that you've already hired to do the film, do the scene or hire a completely new actor to come in and do the scene. Cause in the long run, professor Benz only shows up here and that's it uh, throughout. It, it even states in the book that or in the unofficial guide companion that this is the only time we're ever going to get a history of magic lesson in the entire series. Really? Uh, I
0: could have sworn I remember other history. Like, there's no exams history. Oh, man, that's wild. I could have sworn we had more Professor bittens.
1: No. So apparently it's a ring theory. So Chapter 9 and Chapter 11 are the same ring theory type scenario where Mm -hmm. the history of magic and the dueling club are only mentioned once in the entire series. It's really weird. So History Magic, I'm sure, is like mentioned as they're doing like homework for it or whatever. But like the actual class, like we get to see the actual inside of the class and see Professor Bin's Uh, teach isn't available. Okay.
0: That's a little bit more manageable because I definitely (laughs) remember Harry writing an essay or something. I can't remember if it's homework or an exam about the Goblin War or whatever and talk about Professor Bin's.
1: Yeah, but, like, them actually being in the, in the class classroom and having okay. Professor Binch teach the class and, and talk about oh, something guess... and stuff is the only time that's ever mentioned ever in the entire series. That's
2: so surprising to me. Yeah. I remember them doing OWLs for History of Magic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say I remember that. That's what I'm
0: American. saying. I, I feel like I remember exams or something. Isn't that where? <sighs>
1: But they don't Some take thing, their exams it, in the classroom.
0: No, right. But that's the exam he's taking when Fred and George do the fireworks in the fifth book, I think, possibly. probably, We'll get there in a few years.
1: But essentially, that really, I think this is the only time we ever get Professor Binns in a prominent role. And mm-hmm. so ideally, the question remains... Budget wise, do we hire a new actor to just do this one scene or just have somebody who we've already paid do it?
0: Well, that so. makes sense filming wise, but how do we as readers feel? it? Well, that's that?
1: what I'm saying as a reader. Like I, and as my critical thinking, that's how I feel about it. It makes sense to me why they didn't go that route. Would I love to see Professor Binns? Yes. Mm -hmm. But the idea of having McGonagall do it versus having a complete narrow actor come in to do it makes sense to me on why they made that decision in the first place. So I'm not upset about it.
2: I'll be upset about it. (laughs) I figured
0: you would be because of kind of how comical this scene plays out with the name mispronunciations oh mispronunciations. It's hilarious.
1: That is mm-hmm. funny. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I really I really like this scene.
2: You know me so well.
0: <laughs> how would you um and maybe you guys can work together on this, but how would we like to <laughs> fix this for the show? How can we Bring Professor in Include ben it in it. the <laughs> <laughs> How should we include it? Because what James is saying makes total sense. Why hire an actor for this one scene? Um, So how do oh we get God, him? They could,
2: hire, they could hire like a really, basically it could be like a really fun cameo, like a mm-hmm. famous man that yeah, is not a- going to want to sign on for 10 years of a show, but will totally be in an episode or two. And just, like, be funny and everyone will be like, oh, my
1: God. TV, so, TV is like definitely that. a better excuse to bringing guest stars. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just it's just the dynamic of how the how the industry works, really. And I'm sure movies might do it a little bit differently now than compared to back then. But definitely back then, that wasn't necessarily ever an option but TV shows it's it's a different story altogether. They guest stars are always a thing on TV shows, especially a recurring TV show that might last a couple of episodes. Um so that's an easy fix. I feel like turning it into a TV show already resolved the problem because then I'm you can just easily that, bring in somebody who's just going to have that one episode and boom, you're done.
2: I'm putting that as um one of the well, the second homework question so far for people who are listening is who do you want to cameo as professor bins?
1: I already, I already thought of, um, what's his bucket's name? The guy what's who it? reads the, the guy who reads, um, the Harry in the voice who reads the audio. Jim Dale. Book. Jim or Dale, yeah.
0: Jim, Stephen Fry. Oh, that would either be
1: Either one, either, either yeah. one. I feel like that would fit a really good one just to have Jim Dale's mm-hmm. voice or Stephen Fry's voice, just be professor bins voice.
2: That would, That's a great option.
1: I'm, I'm sure they pull it off.
2: Yeah.
0: I agree. All right. So we continue the story and we end up in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Now, again, another change. Lots of changes here, which I think is beginning – Uh, We're just getting started on our journey of changes, but uh, (laughs) we've already met Myrtle in the book at the death day party, which of course was cut from the film. So now we're meeting her in the bathroom in the film. How do you guys think they handled her introduction compared to the book? Do you think it worked or are we excited to see? Of course, we're excited to see the death day party, but do you think... Um, you know, just tell me your thoughts.
1: I mean, for the movie, I feel like it for for what the movie did, it 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 functioned well. I never feel off about the entire Moaning Myrtle introduction, but I I mean, I, Moaning Myrtle is one of those characters where you feel like you need to get to know her more because her character also plays a pivotal role in the story. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're going to expand this in the story that we all know and love uh, and kind of retell it by adding more information and giving us more character and, and all that stuff, Moaning Myrtle is an obvious candidate that gets to to have that happen where we get to discover more about her and answer questions about her being like, how'd she die? what what was she doing? the like these little things that get thrown in bit by bit until the big reveal that she was the girl that died the day the chamber opened. Mm -hmm. And so like, really, I think having her be introduced in the death day party is just the beginning of us being able to know that she's going to play a bigger part later down the road. Um, I feel like these, I feel like the TV show really needs to staple down what their which characters are going to be key characters for the season and how fleshed out they're going to be needing to get them fleshed out in order for their roles in the story to play or have a bigger impact essentially Mm
0: -hmm. and again just having the whole series written is going to help them with that because they know not just this book, but the entire series like Myr- Moaning Myrtle comes back again in book four. Dobby comes back all the time. Ginny is going to be a very important to Harry soon. So having these pieces already in place, they can start laying those foundations this early like they couldn't do in the films. Yeah. You kind of threw a wrench in that though, talk telling me about Professor Binns though.
1: Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I just it was a t- little tidbit I read out of the book, and I was like, that was oh, that's a cool little tidbit. I mean, there's nothing saying you can't make Professor Bins a more prominent character. I'm sure we could add more stuff for Professor Bins to do later down the road, too. Change no, I like the, the cameo idea. Bit.
2: If he, well, because he does show, like he's mentioned, so it would be nice if they did have somebody who could come back and play him. But again, it would be really fun if they just did a cameo. If he's not really going to have speaking parts, um, it's more just yeah. it more just sucks when a character is removed altogether, even if they're not, you know, a huge character. They don't have a lot of lines or anything. Like I, so I get it, but it just sucks when.
1: Like they, just, um, they already
2: removed so much. Like when they made the movies, they took out so who, much from the book. So every it, single time it talk. happens, it's like yet yeah again. There's another character that's missing or something right. like that. So,
1: like, um, what's his? Uh, the guy who shakes Harry's hands. Uh, Diddle? Yeah, there you go, Diddle. Like Diggless, uh obviously, like he doesn't have a very big part in the first book, but like that was his moment to shine and they didn't even let him shine. And so it's just like, we're not even going to l- involve Diggle. We're just going to take him out altogether, even though they filmed the scene and everything.
0: Is he part of the order? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. He's one of the ones that come to get them in the fifth book.
1: Maybe. Possibly. That sounds great. Right.
0: I think so. Yeah. All right. So we end the chapter by discussing Polyjuice Potion and having to figure out how we are going to get the recipe for Polyjuice Potion. So any final thoughts on this chapter and portion of the film?
1: well, i mean um, we we end the episode we end the chapter with Hermione suggesting that they break the school rules, like
0: right <laughs> Hermione's
1: out just blatantly just saying, "We need to break a few school rules in order to get this done, but we need to get this done.
0: Just shows how um determined they are to solve this problem, how um dire this situation is.
1: It, I, I agree with diary. In fact, I'm going to look up something that I found very interesting. Means if you want to chime in, you can chime in before I find it. But,
2: um, I Just about in general, like this, oh, the rules. You're talking about the Hermione breaking the rules specifically? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. I think it's always fun when any of the characters do something that's out of character for them. Um, and there's a couple times where Hermione does something that's towing the line or breaking the rules. And it's always fun. And I love that mm-hmm. Harry and Ron are just always cool with going along with it.
0: <laughs> right. Because they're, cool you know, the they're no strangers to breaking the rules, but Hermione and they're just like, right. yep, it just, it's fun how they rub off on her.
2: I know. Well, and it's it's like cute how, because she has such good intentions and obviously they mm-hmm. end up saving the world, whatever. Um, so it's cute how like she uses books and intelligence to break the rules. You know, she's not right. like just doing stuff because she feels like being bad. She's like trying to do it in a really strategic and methodical way. So it's staying within her character kind of thing. But then she's like, ooh, breaking the rules here. It's pretty funny.
1: Actually, I'm going to throw a little bit more into that and maybe deepen your understanding about this this entire thing. Because when I read this, it blew my mind a little bit. So, at the end, you have Harry, Ron, and Hermione discussing who possibly could it be. Ron suggests Malfoy, and Harry agrees possibly that it could be Malfoy. The reason Ron suggests it is because uh they're they're asking if there's any concrete evidence or proof of draco and this is coming from the book itself the unofficial harry potter companion and an in-depth exploration of the chamber of secrets for anybody who wants to buy the book and take a look at what i'm looking at but ron's targeting of draco stems from his own bias against slytherin backed by draco's outward bigotry towards muggle students harry's suspicion meanwhile is rooted in logic he brings up how the Malfoys have been sorted into Slytherin for generations, and that Draco's father has voiced wicked intentions toward Muggleborn's students. Hermione, on the other hand, remains unconvinced, and for good reason. If there were if these were the only indicators for the heir of Slytherin, their pool of suspects widens to include most of the Slytherin house. But she's willing to break the rules in pursuit of answers, so she proposes taking Pology's potion and going undercover. Her decision to uncharacteristically abandon logic in lieu of the trio's biases reveals how dire the situation has become. Hmm. She would never resort to ignoring authority unless she'd mentally exhausted all other options. Not only has Draco repeatedly expressed disdain for Muggleborn students, he was also the first to speak after the incriminating message on the wall was found, doing everything in his power to paint a target on his back. It's time the trio transformed into Slytherins. So essentially what this revealed to me was their way of thinking, which follow which which follows for them. A good chunk of the rest of the series like this is kind of how they think ron is very influenced by what he already knows harry harry or hermione don't ever think like ron does because ron's already got 11 years of magic uh magic induced culture in him uh, that he just automatically goes. And this show this definitely shows when Ron learns that Filch is a squib because Harry and Hermione don't even know what that is. But Ron's first in interaction is to laugh because he looks at Filch and goes, huh, that's funny. That is just because that's the society in which he grew up in is that he's being taught that he's better than that. And so obviously that's, not necessarily a good thing, but that's just how in how his mind is influenced by the culture and the things around him. So he has had a long history of bias towards Slytherin already. That's an easy route for him to go to rationalize. It's Malfoy. Harry on the other hand is a logic thinker, which we've already discussed in length, I'm sure, but it's easy for him to kind of make those pinpoints because those are the clues he's picked up. So he's like Malfoy could be an obvious target. Hermione is only going with this because she's mentally exhausted all other options. And this feels like it's the only option in order for her to resolve a problem that she's feeling personally threatened by. Cause you have to understand she's got a personal stake in this. Essentially. She understands that she's Michael born and she understands that whatever this is, is going to be after her Mm -hmm. and she wants to figure it out as soon as possible. And so right, which is
0: what makes it so dire.
1: Yeah, which makes it so dire. So if she's willing to break the rules, it's because she's got no other option left. Yeah. So essentially, it changes the whole meaning of what's going on. She's not breaking the rules because she's really been influenced by Harry and her Harry and Ron. It's she's breaking the rules because she she knows it's the only thing they got to do in order to figure this out. Because they've got to be able to eliminate suspects. And the only way to eliminate suspects is to figure out if Malfoy is or isn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. But I do think still Harry and Ron have rubbed off on her a little bit.
1: Well, I mean, yes. In in a lot of ways, she's definitely come down from the very strict, rigid person that she was in the beginning of the book. And she will continue to do so in the other books. But... I feel like it's it definitely shows more of her character to show that she's constantly been thinking about this ever since she's figured it out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And from the very beginning of when they discovered what it is to to the end of the chapter, she has been thinking about this. Otherwise she wouldn't have asked Professor Bins the question. She's basically been doing her entire like she's basically was doing research the entire chapter on what the Chamber of Secrets is. And this was her last option, so she's going with it. Which I think totally gives us a lot of, oh, what's it called? A lot of uh, intriguing in, in, intriguing facts about, yeah, I don't know. I forgot my word. I lost it. But you get my point, right? It it gives us a lot of insight into what she is as a character.
2: Thanks for sharing, James.
1: You're welcome. I get excited about these things. Especially <laughs> when it's something fun. that was revealed to me and not necessarily something I'd like thought about myself. I was just like, well, right. that's really cool.
2: I, um, one thing that I wish that they would have kept in... No, never mind. This is one of my um, pleasure peeve salutes. Never mind.
0: Do you have a lightning round today?
2: No, actually. Um, I'm just reviewing my notes. I didn't write very much for this chapter. I did not either. Oh, okay. So one thing that I wish that they... I hope that they put into the show because I think that it's a relatively small part of the chapter, but it has a lot of meaning, is when... Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all talking about um, being, they're trying to figure out the heir of Slytherin. They're just kind of talking it out. And then Ron, I think, is the one who says, if, if I was sorted into Slytherin, I would leave. And Harry's internal monologue, you know, it, it's uh, yeah. a reminder yeah. to the readers that the sorting Hat basically offered to put him into Slytherin, and he chose not to. And he never revealed that to his closest friends. And I mean, we understand why he wouldn't reveal that, especially with the way that Ron was talking about and how a lot of Gryffindors have been you know how they all talk about Slytherin and Harry's own experience with Slytherin so it makes sense but I think it's really important to um to showcase that 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 Harry can't even tell his closest friends about like a really um a deep I don't, I don't know if insecurity is really the right word but but something that clearly bothers him and something he doesn't understand, and he doesn't know how to talk to anybody about it. And it would be helpful, I'm sure, for well, for anybody to be able to talk to their closest friends. And Harry can't even talk to them about this. And so, or he doesn't feel comfortable bringing it up.
1: He's so, afraid of losing so
2: that's them. Important. Yeah. So I think it's important to keep those seemingly minor things in when they do the show.
1: Well, in. I'm glad you brought that up because that plays a very big, important part in Harry's character because we bring it, it brings us back to what is his biggest flaw and it's his belief in himself. Harry found another thing that feels to him, uh, is going to be holding him back and he starts focusing on it again. And he feels like that's going to be the thing that make makes him fail as a person is that this little thing I'm being, me being potentially being in Slytherin, Makes me the bad guy in people's eyes, and it's not going to make me look right. Really, he keeps focusing on it so much, so that it's making him blind to some other things around him. And so, uh, it just like how in the first book it was, he didn't believe in himself of being a good wizard. It's now he's like, I don't believe myself to actually be who I th- who I'm confidently thinking I am because I what if I am supposed to be in Slytherin and he's asking himself that question on a consistent basis and so uh, it, it's just another step in his path to overcoming his his character flaw which is his belief yeah. in himself this is just another, uh, another transformation of that flaw coming in at him which is holding him back from being able to accomplish the things it's one of his things that he has to overcome um, which he will overcome later in the book. But um, I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's a crucial part of his character that that mm-hmm. we get to keep revisiting. And we will revisit this again and again and again because uh, it's going to be very prevalent in the future books going forward.
0: All right. Any yeah. other thoughts before we get into our PCs?
2: Do we have so, any questions for our British listeners?
1: Oh, I don't know.
2: Nothing really popped out to me. No. As I was reading this time.
1: Sorry, British listeners.
2: But I like to bring it up just in case.
1: I do have a few things I wanted to, like, maybe do a mini James lightning round.
2: Whoa.
1: I know, right? Oh, this, I, is anyways, this, this is a first. This is a first. If Meigs doesn't have one, I'll have one. Drop <laughs> in <focus. laughs> uh, So... My, I say mine's mini because we've already talked a good chunk about some stuff that I really wanted to talk about, but some little things that just made me smile as I was reading the book is one, Gilderoy Lockhart's paintings all having little like rollers and hats, uh, and they come they come into his yes. office because he's like, hey, you can use my office because it makes him feel Love important. <laughs> yeah. Like it it makes him feel important, so they're all going in and all the all of his like paintings are just like they're just mirror images of him. And so they're like, Oh, I'm not ready present for public. Like I need to go like off screen and change into my, my people clothes. And it's just hilarious how it's just, I just imagined a room where Dumbledore's looking at Mrs. Norris and he has like a bunch of just, lock our eyes and these paintings looking at him being like yes 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 it must be this and let Like like just i think that would be hilarious to have in so definitely one of my things that I, I think needs to be added for sure um i loved how lockhart in the movie in the movie they they said that she was petrified off the bat and he was like oh, i know the counter curse that would have just prevented that from happening I love that in the book it wasn't him referring to a petrification curse. It was it was him referring to how to prevent her from dying. So like, oh, it was a transfer like a transfer oh, I can't say it. A transfer curse. Something. I was like it it was a different I have to like look it up now. It's like a transmorgify killing curse or something like that. What? That's what it says, in the book. In the book, yeah, in the book, it, it, he's like, "Oh, it must have been this transmorgify curse. If I had been there, I would have totally prevented that from happening." Okay. But in the movie, it was it was petrification. Oh, I would have prevented that from happening. But in the in the book, it's a totally different subject because he's he's over oh here offering.
2: Okay, yeah. I just searched for it in the on my um my ebook version. The Transmogriffian torture.
1: <laughs> yeah, that. There you go. Totally butchered it like three times. Me, but, I'm
2: gonna look it up while you're talking.
1: But basically he says, Oh, it was this curse, and I totally would have known the cru- like the biggest counter curse. I love how it was not that because it makes it showing that he's trying to resolve the problem before Dumbledore, and I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Because Dumbledore's head not heads even heads paying. Time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's hilarious that he's over here trying to figure it out, and then he's listing like all of his accomplishments while Dumbledore is l- patiently ignoring him. I think that would just be the most hilarious, like little bit of comedy ever. Like that's just great to me. Um, the other okay, thing- when I look
2: it up and I'm on Harry Potter Wiki, so I feel like if that's a pretty, pretty legit site. You know, it's not like a. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. You know, a Pottermore, but, you know, anyways, the only um, description of it is because of Lockhart saying this and um, it means transmogriffion comes from the English transmogrify, meaning to change or alter greatly often to a grotesque effect, possibly implying that the curse changes the shape of the victim to cause pain. Um, so and then that's pretty much it. Oh, it is mentioned on Pottermore. So I'll go. I'll do a, a little bit more research. Okay, keep going, James.
1: No, you're totally fine. Um, so, uh, what else was? What else did I want? Really? Oh, I want. I want to see Snape try and get Harry expelled from Quidditch because he just likes likes to mess with Harry and McGonagall and stuff. He's Just over here being like all snide, like he got them fi- like pegged and figured out as he's questioning them about where they've been and stuff, and he's kind of just like. I think he should be expelled from the Quidditch team until we get true answers from them because obviously they're hiding something. And McGonagall's like, ah, no, I want more of that. Definitely, for sure. Um, what was the other one? There was like one more.
2: There, the only mention of it on, well, now wizardingworld.com is it's just sharing um, Lockhart quotes and it's on an article or a feature page called titled gilderoy lockhart comma according to gilderoy lockhart which i think is really funny it's just sharing a bunch of stuff about what he said so that's great um, yeah it's really
1: cute. okay so the other the other thing that i wanted this is the last thing um the other thing i wanted to see was the rumors of Harry being the heir of Slytherin already begin to accumulate because we get Justin Finch Fletchley uh, running into him and then running in the opposite direction once he sees Harry. And, and then we get Colin saying like, hey, someone told me that you are uh, to avoid you. Or, I can't remember like the exact quote, but Harry basically tells his friends that everybody's already <coughs> thinking that it's him. Because they found him at the side of Mrs. Norris. Whereas Mm -hmm. we don't get that until after Justin has been petrified. So three people have been petrified and then the rumors start. But I want that to start earlier and be a bigger thing because it plays into that whole doubting yourself thing uh, that Harry's going through. So I think that would be definitely an interesting thing to highlight. all these little muggle-born people being like, I'm being told to avoid you. Well, Colin says that mm-hmm. Justin like automatically doesn't like it. Mm. So anyways, that's my little lightning round.
0: I like it. James's lightning round.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so should we dive into our Peeves' pleasure?
1: Definitely. Let's
0: do it. Go for it, James.
1: So my pleasure that the adaptation did for the movie was. It's going to have to be, I I don't know. It's going to have to be McGonagall telling us about the Chamber of Secrets and i know that like means that i don't like obviously like i liked that it doesn't trump the fact that professor bins did it i understand but i don't know every time i watch that scene i it feel like it was really well done and it was and maggie smith did a really great job and every time i watch the movie i'm like that's just a ooh like oh ooh <laughs> I don't. I just don't know how to explain it. I thoroughly enjoy it, even though it never happened. Mm. (laughs) And so it's just like I don't know. I just I I enjoy the whole aspect of that scene and what it does, and and the students being interested in it because then he even has like Malfoy in the room, and you're like you have Malfoy doing his little like yeah, which like totally throws people in for a loop, being like he knows something the others don't. Like it's just fun. I don't know. I just I love it. But at the same time, I understand why some people wouldn't love it.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, I I don't like that Professor Binns was cut out or that they cut any professor out and they had somebody else do something. But I think that of course Dame Maggie Smith did a fantastic
1: job with that. Definitely.
2: Um, My pleasure was that I think that Moaning Myrtle was a good adaptation, Um, like her, uh, the way who they casted and how she was all emotional Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, She's not like my favorite character or anything. So I don't. She wasn't somebody that I was like, particularly like, oh, I cannot wait to see this. But uh, I think that they did a really good job with casting her. She did a great job acting. It was funny, you know, so I think. I think that they did a good job with that.
1: I love it. I agree.
0: Yeah, I'm going to hop on the Moaning Myrtle train. I didn't really write anything down. Um, I didn't really write anything down for my peeve. Well, I did write something down, but I didn't really have a lot of strong opinions (laughs) for this chapter. Um, But yeah, I do like who they cast as Moaning Myrtle, and I thought that she did a great job portraying her. Even better in book four. Can't wait.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. All
0: right. So James, with that, what is your peeves peeve?
1: Oh, the one thing I regret having them take out is um, Filch. Filch's Squib storyline. Yes. So. But, and the only reason why I don't like it is because I knew I now know that they were making it. like they were <laughs> they made scenes to make that a thing where like it shows how Filch is hating on Harry because he, he believes Harry's this brutal wizard that is like out to get him now that he knows he's a squid because it's a secret that he's been trying to hide kind of scenario and Uh, It just shows a lot of the trauma that Filch has gone through as a person, I'm sure. But, Mm. like, it, it, but in the end, like that whole scenario of him, his uh, of his cat being petrified and him truly believing it's Harry out to get him because of who he is, kind of just it shows that aspect of it. And to know that they were trying to make that happen with the deleted scenes that they had cut out and stuff, I was just like super disappointed that they Mm -hmm. didn't go through with it or even flesh it out a little bit because in the extended edition, when they added the deleted scenes in, they have him picking up the quick spell letter and giving it to Filch in the dungeons when they've got caught by driving the car to the Whomping Willow and Harry's kind of just like, I think this is yours and Filch is just like hiding it kind of scenario. Like they had sprinkled that in ready to be delivered and then it never it never gets mentioned again. And so it's just like, why, why even tease us like that and then just never have it be fleshed out? That's the only reason why I don't like it.
0: Right, and I had written this down and I forgot to mention it earlier, but it just makes his accusation seem out of place in the film because the only reason why they're blaming Harry at this point is because he's he the one there. that found the cat yeah um whereas in the book you have this whole underlying theme Mm -hmm.
1: that makes it true for filch because he believes it to be true and it Mm -hmm. makes it more convincing and -hmm. yet we don't get that in the film at all which is sad My
2: uh, peeve is leaving out the scene right at the end of the chapter where uh, Percy sees the trio, but Ron (laughs) leaving the girls' bathroom and he gets so mad and then they get into a fight because we see so little of Percy in in the films and so when spoiler alert, when there's a whole bunch of uh, drama that happens within the family later on in the series when Percy's kind of you know, ousting himself from the family. It, I mean, they don't even have that in the film really, because
0: Mm
2: -hmm. it just doesn't really make sense. But in the books, it, it means so much more in a bad way that that happened. Um, And so, you know, of course, Percy's character is so flat in the films and then he's taken out. And so I just, you know, there's a, a lot that we've already talked about with the Weasley family that they remove in the films or they removed And it just takes away from the whole family dynamic in general. And um, so I hope that they do not remove any Weasley family members at all. (laughs) Justice for Charlie. And then I hope that they add in these or they keep in all of these moments in the TV series where just, you know, where Percy gets mad at Ron and then they get into a little fight. Like, it's important to keep those things in.
1: I have a little tidbit of information that you might find enjoyable.
2: I feel like we need um a new segment called James's Tidbits
1: <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun dun um <laughs> my tidbit of information to make that a little bit more enjoyable is that uh the reason why Percy runs into them in the first place and he gets mad is because he wants to throw Ron, Harry and Hermione off the trail of the fact that he's coming out of the dungeons where he was personally kissing his girlfriend.
2: Ooh, yeah,
1: Cause that's what was happening. <laughs> uh, it, Cause in the book in the companion, it says, meanwhile, while Harry and Ron and are in the bathroom, Percy is just coming out of the dungeons where he's secretly been kissing his girlfriend, which apparently is against the rules. So he, he himself is, like, breaking rules. So he's, like, trying to get them off the fact that off he's the breaking the rules by pointing out that they're breaking the rules, too. And so I think that's <laughs> just hilarious.
0: I didn't realize that it's against the rules. I guess it is, in, like, in schools, too. I just never really thought about it because I never really drew attention to it in the series.
1: Yeah, I don't Most think I ever in. really... Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but anyways, that's a, that, that's a little, little fun thing.
0: Well, like I said, I didn't really have any strong opinions, but I did write down that in the book, they say um, the bathroom that they meet in, it. there's an out of order sign. It's out of order because it's Myrtle's bathroom and it's always flooding and stuff, which makes a lot more sense why they'd just be sitting in the middle of the floor of the bathroom um, as In the film, they don't really say it's out of order. They just said nobody really comes in here because of Moaning Myrtle. Um, And even in the book, they're still inside a stall. They're still hiding. So it's much more secretive than it is in the film. And so that was my peeve. But it's really not that big of a a nitpick.
2: Yeah, it's small, but it's just, again, with all of these details that they keep leaving out. Every time they leave a detail out, it, you know kind of downgrades the story i think
1: Hmm. it's a peeve
0: it's a a minor peeve yeah (laughs) okay james who what when where why are you saluting
1: so i am saluting um and i kind of already went into it a little bit but i am saluting the writing of jenny weasley's character and it's for the it's for the same reason why I went into like the whole like mystery aspect of it. She plays a very important part. As I was reading the story today, I was just I reflected on how I was first reading it and going, "I never thought it was Jenny," and I was just like, "Wow, I never knew it was her." And so, just how amazingly well, what well written it was because now i'm going through and being like oh she put it there she put it there she's mentioning it here i know what jenny's doing i know what jenny's doing i know what jenny's doing like right now kind of scenario like it now that it's been revealed to me and i know who it is and uh, like who done it kind of scenario like i can see little tidbits of information that she put there for people to find but also, like, written, wrote it so well that it kind of threw us off the trail kind of scenario. But, like, you, it's not like this random decision she made to have Jenny be the person k- taken by the book. It was, it was, it was there the entire time if you knew where to look. And so that just shows to me how, like, amazingly well put together it was. And uh, I can't wait for, for people to, have kind of figured that out because it, it's the whole Snape thing over again but 10 times better uh, in my opinion I feel like with it being her first book she didn't she did a good job in it having us think it was Snape and when it wasn't Snape and it's still being like revealing that it was Coral and it being like oh it was Coral the entire time like that like wasn't as impactful to me as it was to find out that Jenny was the holder of the diary and opening the Chamber Secrets but still, like, the idea of that happening twice in a row for new people to come in and just, like, just having my children go in and watch the show or or reading the book and then just them discovering all of a sudden that's, like, this random person they didn't even think of. And they're just like, whoa, where'd that come from? I can't wait for those moments. I, like, am ready to start reading the Harry Potter books to my kids and having them go, <gasps> So. Mm-hmm. It's just one of my favorite moments. I don't know. Yeah. So there you go.
2: All right. Um, Mine is the set design. (laughs) Um, I mean, like the, especially the Mrs. Norris part and the the writing on the wall and all of that. Like, I I just think that it's, it looks pretty much exactly how it, what I imagined it all to look like in my head when I was initially reading it.
1: Huh. on how the writing doesn't wash away. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important part to emphasize. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure like when we come back and revisit it again, um, when there's a second phrase that's written in blood, that people are going to go, like, why is that still there? But like we obviously know that Filch was trying to wash it away but can't wash it away it's just it's stuck there kind of scenario so Mm -hmm. it makes me wonder one is it still there years after it's happened or and two uh what did they do to make it like permanent like yeah like what like what what did jenny do through like what did Tom Riddle do through Ginny to like make that not go anywhere to be removed from basically anything at all. Um, cause I'd be very interested to like maybe in year four or five, just have like Dolores Umbridge walking down the hall and being like the chamber of secrets opened and she's like denying this entire like Voldemort thing and just kind of like ignoring it and like walking past it. I think that would be a, f- a funny scene.
0: Yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, my salute, Professor Binns, <laughs> and uh, his history lesson.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd really like to see him in the show.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just a bummer. That's I all. Make, yeah, like that out.
1: Yeah. Bring Professor Bins. Bring Professor Bins.
0: Justice for <laughs> Professor Bins. Mm-hmm. All right. Any final thoughts, folks?
1: I've already said a lot.
0: <laughs> I think I'm good. Well, thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time we'll be discussing chapter ten, The Rogue Bledger, which is approximately minutes fifty-three through an hour and three minutes. James, where can our listeners find you?
1: You must all go to James M. Beltran on Instagram or TikTok. And that's where you'll find me doing my weird shenanigans.
2: And you can find me on Instagram at Megan, uh, sorry, Megan, M-E-G-A-N, underscore, Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all of my other projects.
0: And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at captain.mcd, that's M-C-D-E-E. And you can find all my other projects linked there as well. You can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Gapfest. Ickle firsties. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen. And please, please, please leave a five-star review. If you're as mischievous as we are, please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com. If you have any feedback, please leave us a voicemail at 409 3378 That's 409-GABFEST. Or you can email us at pizzasgabfest at gmail.com. Also, come on and join the discussion in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Until next time, nickel firsties.
1: Bye.